You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter Outchul. Hi, everybody, and welcome to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco for episode 283, dated Friday, November 11th, Veterans Day, 2022. With us, of course, is Peter Outchul, our good friend and co-host. Peter, you were just saying you're getting cold weather? Yeah, uh, about 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, it was 80 degrees. Uh, 6 o'clock this morning, it was 38 degrees, and it hasn't gone much above 40 today. So I guess oh. winter has finally arrived in, in Columbia, Missouri. Well, we're not at 80. We're close to 70. And after we get the remnants of Tropical Storm Nicole tonight early in the morning, we're going to have a nice day, and then it's going to cool off almost as much as it's cooled off where you are, Peter. So, yeah, as you were correctly guessing, we are going to get your weather, probably <laughs> tomorrow night. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. enjoy it. All right. So I would like to offer some thanks. I want to thank the media outlets for airing in perspective when they do. Thank you very, very much for that. We appreciate that very much. I also want to thank Tom and Lynn. From Rosie's Place chat line, they post our shows on bulletin board 15 on that line. Thank you for doing that for us. I also want to thank Raymond Gay, our producer, and Jacqueline Sylvia, our web designer, for archiving our shows on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Just go there, click on the archives, and you will see them all from latest to earliest pretty much. Before we continue, I just want to make a correction. Last week, I told everybody that our climate change activist, Steve Roberts, was on our show twice. Actually, he's been on six times. So I just want to make that correction. As I just said, it is Veterans Day. So what I thought we would do, Peter and I talked about this, is that we do a tribute program to the veterans of our great country. First of all, I want to publicly thank the veterans who might be listening, and hopefully they'll tell other veterans. And uh, I want to thank them for their great service, helping us to maintain our freedoms. We think that's very, very important. And again, we appreciate the hard work that you all do. Today we have with us Ann Chiapetta, who is quite familiar with what's going on. She knows a lot of veterans, and one of the people that she knows is with the Blind Veterans Association, Paul Mims. So, Annie and Paul, first of all, welcome to In Perspective. Thank you for taking part in our tribute show. Well, thank you for allowing me to be here. Thanks. So, Paul, you are with the Blind Veterans Association. I've heard about that association from time to time. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and and uh, what led you to it. Well, um, the most obvious thing is that, uh, you know, I'm a veteran and I'm blind. I was actually blinded while, you know, <laughs> actively participating in an accident while I was serving on a ship in uh, Vietnam in 1968. What kind actually, of an just an accident. Oh, an accident. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, we had a pulley that we lowered ammo down into the ammo locker and they forgot, somebody forgot to fasten it down. And so 
I was going to watch at midnight and I walked right into that thing that was swinging while we were at open sea. And of course, there's no street lights out there. So I never saw it coming. It hit me right in the left eye. And, uh, I brought on an early onset of glaucoma. I lost most of the visual field in about, oh, 30, 45 days. So, um, so I guess what brought me here is that I eventually, you know, went blind from glaucoma. And of course, the care in, in the late sixties, early seventies isn't what it is today. But, um, and we've made a lot of progress. Yes. Yeah. They certainly have. And, uh, so I, um, uh, lost my vision slowly over the years and, uh, got to the point where in 1984, it was, uh, you know, it was critical, you know, my vision loss. Um, uh, I, I, um, uh, stopped being able to do the job that I had as a restaurant manager effectively. And, uh, you know, part of that was I was working in one of those restaurants that were like drive-in banks in the late, late seventies. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so there were a few of those. Oh yeah, there were, there were. And, uh, uh, so I figured out, you know, that, uh, I wasn't going to try and keep the job when they just decided they wanted to let me go because, uh, you know, if somebody walked up with a gun and I didn't see it, I jeopardized all the employees there and I was the manager. So, you know, that, uh, that was a hard decision to make. It was, it was just as hard as the decision to quit driving. When I was 40 years old. So, um, it shortly after, I guess shortly after that, I went to, uh, the blinded veterans. Well, I, I, I went to, first of all, the, the VA and, uh, you know, looked into services there and, uh, I was actually able to get into blind rehab. Um, in Missouri quicker than I could get to blind rehab in, you know, Chicago at the blind rehab center. So I did that. And, um, that was effective and, and successful. I figured out, started to figure out rather that, uh, oh, you know, some people say being blind is an inconvenience, but, uh, I think it's much more than that, but, um, certainly, Along the way to resolving and, uh, resolving myself to the fact that, you know, I was going blind, but I was going to live through it. I figured out that I had my motivation to be something besides nothing. I had my physical health. I had my intelligence, which is pretty much my pace. I had the support of my family and I had my faith. I took those five things and moved on forward and I haven't looked back. Go ahead. I want to get to your time as a veteran. Where were you stationed and what years and uh, did you serve as a veteran during any crises? Yeah. um, Well, I went to boot camp in San Diego, California and, uh, I was in the Navy and 
then I, I went on to, uh, you know, a short assignment there. Well, two assignments in San Diego. And in January of 1968, um, I took a flight out of Fort Lewis, Washington and flew eventually into the Philippines. I was there for about uh, two and a half weeks, and then I was flown in to land in Saigon, Vietnam. Um, I eventually caught up with my ship there. I served on a, an LST, the USS Luzerne County, which was uh, one of the ones that was uh, built during World War II and then decommissioned a couple of years later in '46. And then they recommissioned it in 63, I believe it was, took it around the horn over to Vietnam. I haven't kept up with it, but I don't think that one made it back. What we were, what we were doing was, uh, carrying supplies, uh, up and down the rivers in the Mekong Delta mm. and, uh, you know, supplies, you know, including, uh, demolished vi- uh, vehicles, uh, Viet Cong prisoners. Uh, you know, we did have a, we did have one load that had beer for the soldiers in, in, you know, in Saigon. So that was our most welcome shipment, I think, at that time. But, um, so we, we went up and down the rivers in, in what's, you know, was the Mekong Delta. And we did, and then we did some deliveries and pickups along the shore as well, along the coast. And, um, and well, I had my accident, you know, while I was on board ship there in Vietnam and, uh, you know, having lost most of the visual field in my left eye, they, uh, decided to uh, tell me to go home. So I was discharged in, uh, January of 1969. So while you were transporting these supplies, I assume you were in danger of being attacked by, by the Viet Cong or the Vietnamese, right? I mean, you know, that was, that was in. Yeah. I, I, I finally caught up my ship on the 3rd of March at about 4, 4.30 in the afternoon, 10 o'clock the next morning. They sounded the alarm for GQ battle stations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And we received enemy fire. So I hadn't even been on the ship much more than 20 hours by the time we, you know, were floating around with holes in the side of the ship. And, uh, welcome to one Vietnam. Guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one guy, one guy was wounded. He was 17. He caught up with the ship the day before. So he got wounded his first day on board ship at 17 years old. Um, wow. but, uh, you know, I, I guess one of the, you know, things that happened during that was we had a radioman whose, uh, replacement was late, but, uh, the other radioman had already left to go to his next duty station. So this radioman got stuck there, uh, doing 36 straight hours on duty. Wow. And when he finally got relieved and, uh, went to sleep, he didn't hear the alarm for GQ battle stations. So they sent Mims down to go pick him up, go get him, <laughs> go find him and bring him up. And I had to literally pick this guy up off his rack, 
and stand him up and he tried to crawl back in it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I grabbed his shoes and grabbed his hat and his shirt and, uh, slapped him a couple of times on, on the back until he, he got, you know, awake enough to figure out what was going on. And just as we were going through the doorway and I was fastening the doors, you have probably seen in the movies if you had the chance where they have the handles that you fasten for the watertight doors. I was fastening those, that, those, those handles and we both heard a big boom, which woke him up. But what it <laughs> turned out to be was a rocket that hit the side of the ship and his rack was right in the center of that hit. And it was about six and a half feet wide, the hole in the ship. And so we were about 30 seconds, you know, from both of us buying it, especially him, if I hadn't gotten out there to get him up. So I'll call that my close call. Yeah. So uh, uh, I want to talk more about this in a second, but I want Andy to sort of talk about her role in all of this. Andy, what is your connection with the veterans? Uh, I, uh, worked at the, I worked at the VA at a vet center, which is a mental health clinic in, uh, White Plains, New York for eight and a half years. And my, um, responsibilities were to help combat veterans and their families, um, deal with adjustment, um, coming back from deployment or post-deployment issues. I worked with active duty, um, but also with veterans. We did a lot of work with Vietnam War era veterans, um, and then moving forward, we we just kept uh, kept up with the uh, with the incoming, uh, you know, Gulf War vets, uh, you know, and then Afghanistan uh, vets. Uh, and then when I left, um, there was you know a uh, a lull, I guess, in terms of um, active duty activity um but of course that never really ends um so uh yeah i yeah. uh, yeah. I, I did a lot of work with um with groups dealing with ptsd um and uh you know paul when you were talking one of the things that that um that i remember the most is the coming home stories um you know the uh and and the close calls uh, right. veterans, yeah, and veterans, you know, in general, I guess, there's, 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 every veteran has that story. Um, you just have to listen, um, and, uh, and be open to, to listening to it. Um, and that's what I did. That's what I feel. I feel like I was, a an open ear and a safe place to, uh, for them to be able to unburden themselves and, um, and, and, uh, explore what it meant to them. Um, whether they were uh Korean War vet, Vietnam vet, Gulf War vet, didn't matter. Um you know, it's yeah. uh you know, veterans have their stories and um they have their uh their heart and soul uh that uh you know is attached to the military and um they're very special to me. My husband is a Navy vet, retired and uh you know, he did his full twenty, six years active duty. And the rest in active reserves, he went all over the place. He was called up during the first Gulf War and, uh, he, uh, got, uh, commendations for, um, navigating his ship through the canal. Um, and, uh, he also was, uh, 
um, what part of the um, the guided missile cruiser that was off the coast of Lebanon at the time. Um, oh, and, yeah. And he had general quarters. That's why I wanted to laugh when you said GQ. I was saying general quarters, general yeah, quarters, quarters, all hands. You know? yeah. <laughs> he knew. He, yeah. He that was, was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. Um, and uh, so, you know, uh, that's that's my experience, personal and professional. Um, I, I, I loved, uh, you know, being around the veterans and the families, especially the wives and the kids, they're always so proud um, and, and so supportive. You know, even when the times got tough and things were rough, um, they still wouldn't, you know, wouldn't change a thing. So, um, so I would like, me. thank you, Annie. Yep. Thank you, Annie. Oh, and so what, what the thing I've been sort of thinking about today is, you know, how, how, us civilians who've never had much communication with the military at all. We're appreciative from a distance of the work that, that the military does and those who support it. But when it, when it comes down to, we, we don't really get it. We don't understand as civilians sort of the complexities and the, the challenges that military folks face. And so I would like either one of you or both to sort of reflect on what, what is it that you think we as civilians need to understand about how the who military people are what they do how can you know what are the things that we need to better understand in order to better be able to you know to, to respect you and to work with you understanding that there's lots of differences you know and, and you know er, like everything else there's lots of you know <laughs> diversity but but what, what are some of the things that shape you guys that might be different from stuff we've we experience well one thing i'll i will add um you know, Annie and I have another bond too because I worked for the vet center for eight months, eight years in uh, Kansas City myself. So I know exactly what she's talking about. And, um, a lot of the people that, you know, we ran into in the vet centers, you know, and I, I was back in the nineties. I'm older than she is, but, uh, uh, one of the things that came out of uh, Vietnam, you know, and was, I guess you'd say it came out of Vietnam, was the establishment of the diagnosis of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so um, a lot of people didn't understand that because nobody knew what it was until, you know, it was brought up in connection with the reaction from uh to the combat experience and and that you know after trauma was a common definition you know in in the media and and the public then people started to try to put some things together externally um but um i i guess the the mistake you know you can call it a mistake it's an oversight, but you know when we when we went to say boot camp uh, and and through basic training and our, our mine was Navy, the Army and the Marines theirs was more intense in terms of you know they're preparing them for hand to hand combat and and probably some more intense operations certainly, but you know to prepare people for that you know one of the things you you're actually doing is uh dehumanizing the enemy 
they stop being uh Viet, you know Vietnamese citizens that are fighting for the Viet Cong and they become Charlie and Gooks. Gooks, yeah. Okay, and so you you know part of the strategy was to dehumanize them just to prepare you to kill them. Okay. Uh short story, down and dirty. And so what you what you developed was a group of people that in the intensity of that combat experience and people have stories that are more grisly than mine for sure. Um people that were you know, in a bunker and, you know, they were hunkered down in the bunker, incoming fire. And the guy next to him, his head just disappeared because he took a direct hit. And so if you can imagine that and, and just try to imagine how traumatic that is, but then you got to keep going. Yeah. Cause a close call means you survived. Okay. And so, right. you know, that's a close call, but. You know, when, when you come, when you, after you survive that, you, you can say you survived the memories, but you don't. And so the, the, the oversight was that they, the uh, Department of Defense and everybody else didn't really understand that after you prepare these people to become killing machines, you've got to, Deprogram them, right. debrief them when they come back, and they didn't. You did your two years, thanks, bye. And then you start hearing about the stores where stories where you know there was a marine in the line at the grocery store. Somebody came in to rob, rob the store, and so this marine took the guy off barehanded with no gun, disarmed the guy, and beat the crap out of him. And that was. In great part, it wasn't anger. It was a conditioned response. Mm -hmm. So what we're dealing with is people that were, you know, conditioned to do their their job on active duty. But when they were, uh, when they ceased to be on active duty, they still had the training. They still had those, those same, uh, reactions. And so they started acting the same way in response to Similar responses or stimuli in the civilian community, the civilian community, as they did when they were in combat. Right, and civilians don't understand the, you know, the 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 the, the response that they're giving in a tense situation like that. I mean, you know, they're they're responding with um, with an immediate <laughs> defense, and uh, you know, there's no time for thinking. Yeah, there's no time for, mm-hmm. you know, stepping back and, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that um, I dealt a lot with with families with returning um, active duty members mm-hmm. was was adjusting, getting them back into the family again. Um, you think right. about it. You you're you're gone for 18 months. The wife has got the kids. The wife is or, you know, or the husband. I've done a lot with the where the wives are the ones in the military and the husbands are the ones taking care of the family. doesn't matter whichever partner it is. That's the home partner is, is, is doing everything. And then the, the other person comes home and there's this huge power struggle between them and this, and this, this, you know, what, you know, where do I fit? 
And, you know, a, a lot, a lot of times it, it does work out well because sometimes the, the partners kind of figure it out as they go, but a lot of times it doesn't. And what ends up happening is they fight, you know, they, uh, you know, they don't know how to, uh, to, you know, to relegate, you know, these simple things like who's going to get up with the kids and who's going to take them to school and, um, you know, uh, can't find a job. And veterans, a lot of times when they come back from active duty, they have a hard time becoming employed. So, you know, and they're, they're dealing with all of this stuff of adjustment. And then, you know, there's the spouse going, you know, what is your problem? <laughs> Why can't you do these things? You know, and, right. and then, and then, you know, and then they come into therapy and we have to work through all of that, either through groups or through couples counseling or through individual counseling and, um, that's the part that I think civilians don't get is there is yeah. a, there is a level of adjustment um, that uh, that that should be happening as soon as that person signs their discharge papers. They should be taken care of. You know, their family should be monitored, you know, and offered assistance. It shouldn't be after a traumatic experience or a critical incident or an attempted suicide. It should be part of of the whole process of being in the military and coming out of the military. And I think that's what this country doesn't do as well as we should do. Um, taking care of the veteran and the family, um, especially, you know, at post, you know, Critically, after active duty, um, you know, in combat, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you, um, and Annie? Did you provide such counseling yourself? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, and that's one we, reason we both why. Did. The, yeah, the vet centers actually cropped up because of that. Um, there was a critical need for post-Vietnam veterans and their families to to have a safe place to go to be able to work this stuff out. Um, and that's why the event centers became what they were and why they were funded um, by Congress and why they are around today. I think there's 200 of them around the United States. And, right. they, and they're, you know, they are the ones that are um, we all have, you know, the boots on the ground. You know, that that uh, that saying, well, the vet centers are boots on the ground. So, yeah, I want to I want to go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'll, go ahead. Go, go ahead I'll just, you know, one concept behind the establishment and, and uh, placement of vet centers, they're community-based. Right. So they're not in the VA medical center. One reason is that a lot of the people that uh, came back were wary of the VA and anything mm-hmm. else that was a big building in the establishment. Right. And so they put them out in the community where they would be more inclined to approach them to get the mental health they needed, to get to enrolled in the medical care they needed, to feel secure in a, approaching uh, the, uh, we'll call the civilian community. So that was what led to a big uptake, if you will, in the population of veterans that are homeless. And one one thing to understand, another thing to understand about Vietnam, uh, you know, a lot of things they didn't know, and there were some things they kind of just, uh, you know, went on past. And one of those things is called schizophrenia. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
the, the, the primary test for a lot of, you know, a lot of people when they went in was the mirror test. If you fogged up the mirror, then you were breathing, you got in. And I mean, that was, a, it was about, you know, that was, that was yeah, about, about it, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was about it. And, you know, so they were rolling a lot of people in. They, they, you know, maybe of necessity lowered the, the, the entrance standards and, you know, anything else. When you get in a hurry, you start cutting corners, that kind of thing. Paul. Uh, yes. What if somebody didn't fog up the mirror? They probably didn't make it to the induction center in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're breathing, you're going to fog up the mirrors, I guess is my point. And, uh, there it's are not like people, the only option. Well, some people tried it. They tried not to breathe. So they, because <laughs> <laughs> not everybody that went to the induction center was there because they were volunteering. You got to remember it was at the height of the, uh, draft. Right. Wasn't, wasn't it also, you know, going into the military was a, an alternative to serving time in prison and being, you know, didn't they say? Uh, for uh, a lot of people that were. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're a college student and then you could, then you could, then you could bypass <laughs> the draft back then. I, 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 I'm just curious if either of you can react. I mean, obviously the Vietnam War was 50 years ago or something, more than 50 years ago, actually. Um, how have things changed? I mean, obviously it's a volunteer army now. Right. So mm. you don't have that quite as much of a problem of folks not wanting to be, you know, not wanting to go in the first place. H- how have things changed and how are things remain the same? Well, I've got one women, women in the military. Sure. Yeah. Yep. 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 That's one thing that's changed. Yep. And how and how has that changed? How how is how has that changed? I mean, obviously, it's a different gender and I get all that. But how 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 has that changed things? Uh, I, I think it's changed the, you know, the the patrician attitudes um of, of of you know maybe the older military milieu um you know women in the military um you know now you know they hold combat positions and um you know they i i just i just but i also find that women in the military have their own set of circumstances and difficulties in um readjustment and coming back um yeah you know and it, you know <laughs> We had a uh, one of the positions in the vet center was a military sexual trauma specialist, and I I'd right. never been trained in that position, but um, you know I would read some of the you know clinical notes and um, be in on some of the um, conversations about treatment, and um, you know being raped in the military is just it's just horrible. I mean it shouldn't happen, but it does, and well, um, yeah. you know. But then then we have these high ranking military women who. Um, who are heroes uh, that, you know, rightly deserve to be so. Um, so there's a catch-22 there. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I don't know what else to say about it. Um, other Nothing. Than, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot, and, lot to say. And, you know, uh, one of the harsher realities, and, you know, Annie overlooked this little piece of it, and that is that, you know, um, in the military, you know, sexual trauma is not always, you know, a crime of man on man. It's also can be or man on woman. It can also be man oh, on yes. man, yes. which really Thank complicates you. the issues uh, because a woman will cry rape. A man won't. Think about that. 
So you've got a lot of uh, buried uh, trauma within uh, a male who was, you know, sexually assaulted on active duty. And, you know, there's not only is there do not, you know, don't ask, don't tell, but there were a lot of people that got drafted and they didn't want to come out. So they tried to get, you know, they tried to go through it. Right. And we, so we have to accept, you know, those people. Well, we do now and we should have them, you know, that, you know, that, that was their life, their lifestyle. That was their reality. Uh, and, uh, but since, they weren't accepted. Uh, a lot of them went through and tried to gut it out. And of course they didn't, it didn't work. So, well, so my, my question is, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, and I appreciate this, but I, I want to try as best we can to focus on more current times than the Vietnam war. I understand that uh, because, you know, we, we still are, you know, we're still are fighting wars. We, we're still out there, you know, our well, military folks are out there. And, but and so that I, is current. I, and I also know you're right. Fair enough. And, and I also know that, you know, uh, that there's a major issue still of homeless people who are vets. I know that's still a major issue, regardless of what war mm-hmm. we're talking about. And I also know there's a huge suicide problem among, among military folks. You know, you hear about it in the, in the media all the time. Right. So I, right. I, I, wor- I worry that, that, you know, we, that if all we address is what went on in Vietnam, we're sort of missing part of the, of the, the ship, as it were, right? We, we still got major problems. That, well, you know, unemployment hope, hope, hope. is still a problem with the younger yeah, veterans, yeah. you know, mental health. Uh, those are the two major things. Paul, anything else besides, I mean, uh, unemployment well, and it, mental health? Jane, can you hold off just for a second? We'll, we'll yes. going to get to you shortly. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, you know, um, you know, and, and saying we're not going to talk about Vietnam, but the conversation hasn't changed. Okay, that's what I was trying to get. It's yeah. just the dates. Yeah. Yeah. The dates have changed, but the the military experience is the same. It's some some things are more intense now, and so if you talk about what's now <laughs> uh, versus then, uh, there's a there's a shift in the focus of you know some of the uh, violence within our troops, but. Uh, and, and some of just the stressors inside our troops. Uh, one of the things that has changed, thankfully, is that veterans in the current conflict, um, they're recognized as being susceptible to PTSD. And so as they rotate back between tours, they're assessed for, uh, symptomology mm-hmm. of post-traumatic stress disorder and they're getting treatment on active duty because it's 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 not something you you get when you when you're done you get it when you're done with combat and so a lot of a lot of guys well just a lot of people now are treated for post-traumatic stress disorder while they're still on active duty oh so that is different Yes. Oh, I know, I, I know that you're not a medical professional. So I'm, the question I'm going to ask, you may not be able to answer. And if you can, I certainly respect that. After that, Peter, we're going to go to the community. That's fine. But my question is, uh, is it safe to, to be PTSD and still be in combat? Or how safe is it? I guess is the question I'm trying to ask. You know, it seemed to me that, you know, uh, if you're PTSD, uh, the folks around you might be in some danger if you're, if you're in combat, right? 
but maybe I'm yeah. wrong. You know, um, I won't say it, it, it's safe, nor will I say it's unsafe. Because if you, if you develop, we'll say PTSD while you were in combat, then you were there in combat with PTSD. Sending you back, well, um, I, I think that that might be insensitive. And if you're looking for trying to get somebody to get over it, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's not like it's all healed up. So it, it's, it's one of those invisible disabilities. Some people can go back after it and they're more intense and some people can't go back. And not everybody so, is in a combat situation either. If you're right. in an, an administrative tent or an advanced mm-hmm. um, troop deployment and stuff, you, you may not ever be in a situation where that. So if you have a stress card, but you're doing really well, you know, as an administrative assistant or something, and that doesn't affect your productivity <laughs> or anything, and you, you're on medication for it, and they're managing you, help manage you, then yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I think that would be a, 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 a positive role model for the military supporting their troops. Makes sense, Bob. Okay, what's, so what's you're listening. Going? You're listening to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco, and I'm with Peter Alchil. And our guests are Annie Schiapetta and Paul Mims. Paul was a veteran of the Vietnam War. Annie worked for uh, veteran centers, helping out with some problems that they <laughs> encounter. It's time to open up the program to our participants. So I'm going to ask Raymond, our producer, if there are any hands raised. Yep. Uh, first up, we have Jane. And I'll just remind the participants when they are done to just submit themselves uh, afterwards. All right. Jane. Jane. Thank you, all of you. Uh, my husband and my brothers were both, all three of them were in the service back in the Vietnam era. Our son has been a lifetime service person, started out in the 82nd Airborne and went overseas and then came back and switched to the reserves and has done four-term tours of duty between Iraq, Afghanistan, and was in Kuwait. Um, Mm. When I think about... And I wanted to be in the military, although I was so, I was personally against the Vietnam War itself, but I wanted to serve my country. And when I think about it, when, when our son has come home from deployments, we learned real quick, like, to be able to just feel the tension when there was yeah. and just say, like, grab a breath. Take it down a notch, dude. You're home. You know, and we had to learn to say that without fear. That he might turn around and get after us or I can do just fine or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's there's been a lot of that. But Annie, I wanted to ask you for a clarification. But um when you were talking about high ranking women in the military, you finished the sentence we were talking about rape. And I missed what you said. I thought you said they didn't deserve to be there. And I wasn't sure. Will you, can you go back and clarify that sentence, that notion for me? Um, yeah, uh, actually, uh, I can't. I mean, I know that, um, high ranking, uh, 
uh, I was speaking about high-ranking women and um, and trauma and rape in the military and, yes. and how um, the military, <clears throat> uh, you know, treated treated them very poorly, um, and uh, you know, and that I hadn't been um, one of the counselors that dealt with military trauma, but uh, right, I heard that. I known about it, and I'm let, not let, sure let, where. Uh, let me take a run at this, Andy, because I think what I heard you say was you spent some time talking about how awful it was to be raped as a woman in the military. And then you said, and on the other hand, and that's, I think, the part Janie may have missed. Yes. Where there, there have been very successful women, uh, senior women in the military who have done heroic things, and we should honor them. Uh, so yeah. Sort of Tammy Duckworth. Things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Tammy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tammy Duckworth Center of what, Wisconsin, I think. It is. I think what I was trying to get at is they, 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 because of, their successes in the military, they helped, um, they helped these, uh, women who experienced, uh, sexual trauma get attention and, and, and get some, um, resolution to what happened to them. Uh, well, I, you know. I just want to say that when you were talking about differences in the service, our son had to deal with quite a few women who were in the military in his chain of command. And I am deeply proud of how he took them on and said, look, if you're in trouble, I'll get you where you need to be. And he did that. And I just, so, you know, I just, we can help them. But when people come back home and they start to react in trained ways, in military ways, in a civilian setting, I almost want to go, all right, you drill sergeant, you've done good. You know, come on over here and, you know, help deprogram them. Because you know, yeah. they get this fabulous training and then need to be assisted. I know our son did some counseling, but he's done most of it on his own, just talking with his, with his dad and me, you know, just to see where he needed yeah. to. But I'm glad we could do that, yeah. you know, with him for him. But and, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's all. Yeah. No, thank you, Jane. I, I thank think that's really important, right? You know, well, you know, what can we do to help people? Sort of, you know, at, I don't know if you program is the right word, but you know, sort of, you know, sort of settle be back, aware. be aware. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's not but, a simple thing. Peter, this is Annie again. Um, we, uh, quite a few times I helped the, um, the county police and local law enforcement agencies understand, um, some of the symptoms and responses that a veteran might have at like a, in a traffic check or something yes. where they, uh-huh. they would think that the veteran, um, was under the influence or, you know, the veteran was, you know, extremely anxious or looked like they were, you know, or a lot of anger and, um, to get them to understand the first thing you want to ask them is, were you, you know, did you just come back or are you a veteran or, um, you know, something that would help them understand that you're trying to understand where they're coming from because it doesn't look the way you think it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a good yeah. point. It is a good, a, point. a good example, I think, of, <laughs> of, you know, what woke a lot of people up. You remember the movie Forrest Gump, I know. Yeah. Oh, I hate that movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it, it still happened. 
And yeah. if you remember, there was, you know, he, you know, in the narrative, you know, behind the, the picture he was talking about. And then, you know, I woke up in Vietnam. And as soon as he said Vietnam, there was a big explosion. Okay. Mm. There were reports of, oh, I don't know how many veterans that went to see that movie, not knowing that it was going to cover Vietnam. Mm. And they hit the floor. Yeah. When, yeah. when that explosion happened. And so that, you know, that's when a lot of people started to understand these guys are coming back. That's, that's a, that's a start of reflect. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, it uh, and it doesn't matter what work because the first Gulf uh, War, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And Ray, I, 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 have any- Ray and, yeah. Other next. Not thank you, at Jane. this current time. Okay. okay. Well, if anybody, if anybody does have questions, uh, or comments, please, uh, raise your hand and we'll let you, uh, Ray, Ray, Ray will interrupt us. He's very good at it. Um, and we we appreciate that interruption. That's a compliment, Uh, Ray. It is a compliment. And Jane, Uh, phone number ending in 042, you are up next. Who's that? I don't know. 042. Phone number ending in 042. Star nine should, uh, oh, actually star six should admit you. Yeah, star six, yeah. Sorry. Are you there? Well, we'll have to hold off. Yeah, we'll we'll have to come back to them. We'll come back to them if, you know, he'll, he'll, you know, keep trying. So I wanted to, um, talk about something that really sort of mystifies me as a civilian. And that has to, and that, what's that? And and Uh, that has Go ahead. I'm sorry, and that is the whole issue of 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 of, of unemployment among unemployment among veterans. And and hear me out. This makes no sense to me. I mean, I understand there are there are complicating matters, but here are folks coming back from service with a variety of really amazing skills, leadership mm-hmm. skills, yes. project management skills, medical skills, uh, medical skills, fill in the blank, you know, logistical mm-hmm. skills, and at least the last I heard. The unemployment rate among, uh, military veterans is, is high. I don't know what the la- latest figures are, but I know it's way too high. I don't understand why, uh, employers are so reluctant to hire these folks. And maybe it's gotten better at, over the past 10 years. Um, take, can somebody, one of you or both of you take a run at that? What's going on about that? Uh, well, well, Paul, one did, thing. Paul, did you work with anybody, any employment placement services while you were? Yeah, we, we, we actually had what they call a DVOP. Okay. Yeah, development employee opportunity. Um, one, one thing to consider is that if, if you're in, if you get into, if you were to get into, uh, submarine duty, you started getting into nu- nuclear propulsion and a whole new field of stuff that came up after you know, World War II and on through Vietnam and carries on into, you know, the current era. And those skills are transferable to the, the general, uh, employee, employee market here. But nobody's looking for door gunners and yeah. a lot of other specialties. So, you know, you've got some people that are getting employed because they have a skill set that's transferable. And you got a lot of people that were, you know, the grunts, the boots on the ground, that just plain infantry. And, uh, you know, their skills are not what's called for 
in the job market. And even then, you might have some people that have skills that are transferable, but they did that when they were in the war, and they don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but Annie, Annie, yeah. there's two things. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But but my basic response as a sort of a career career counselor geek kind of person is there should be ways of of uh, tr- translating those skills to the to the private se- or, you know to to the civilian uh, job market, right? Th- there, yeah. there, there is more than yeah. there used mm-hmm. to be. The last ten years has really, um, you know, uh, seen a it's lot of advances. Yeah. Like Alpha Point helps veterans um, uh, connect with um, civilian organizations and agencies, and um, you know, to help them transfer those um, those skills. You know, a, a medic in the military doesn't have their nursing license. They have to come back here. And they have to go to school to get their nursing degree because they never got their nursing degree in a civilian college or, you know, they got it through the military. So there, there's that in that disconnect there that I I honestly don't, I don't know now. I mean, when, when I was working um, for the vet center, it was still a disconnect and there were, there were so many, um, especially medical personnel, that would come back from um from active duty and they and they and they they couldn't transfer their skills over until they went to college and spent another four years in school and another sixty thousand dollars i mean yeah there's the the um g i bill you know, g i yeah, bill yeah. and everything but still i mean it's that time and so uh i guess it depend depended on what your skills were and how they were transferable and I'm assuming it's gotten way, way better, but I don't know now what that it would be like i'm too far I mean, out to, to me it makes absolutely no sense uh, what you just said it Andy. doesn't make sense yeah you have these medical personnel who've done who's who, who save i'm assuming save lives and 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 mm-hmm. and heal people sometimes in combat zones and they got no credit for it in the in, in the in the civilian sector which which to me right. makes no sense at all i mean just hey, i just want to quickly uh phone number ending in zero four two you seem to be unmuted are you yeah. did you Want to speak? I am unmuted. Ah, awesome. We have seven minutes. Go ahead, Carol. Okay. This, I was really interested in this because I had my father come back from World War II with, he went with his wife and she was working for a general. So they got to sort of go through the procedure together and, Mm -hmm. and support each other. Well, my brother, went to Vietnam and he was drafted and more or less my father pressed him to go and he did not want to. He ended up because of some of the things that uh, he could do that they put him as a chaplain's assistant. And now that sounds really wonderful, but he said it really changed him because day after day he was unzipping bags and uh, looking for tags, and because it was a Catholic chaplain he worked for, he had to bless everybody day after yeah, day. So no, yeah, you are talking about so, body bags. Yeah. So and when they got when he finally got them, they were in Germany. So these were not fresh bodies, and it mm-hmm. really changed him. He was quiet. How he was reflective. Not? Yeah. Sure. 
And when he came back, he he left us for another year and took a bike and went around the world, sort of decompressing. And that seemed to help him. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things in the military that are not combat, but they're combat related. And we have to acknowledge that. That's all I have to say. Thanks for having me. Thank you for sharing that, Carol. That, that, yeah. that, thank you. Yeah, that's an Thank amazing you, Carol. Yeah. I appreciate really. it. Yeah. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you top that? I mean, it, it's, it's things like that that we in, in civilian links simply can't fully comprehend. Uh, uh, Paul, you were talking about, imagine how, how it would be if you were in a bunker and your, and your neighbor's head got shot off and disappeared. I can't remember the language you used. The truth of the matter is I can't, I can't, re- I can't really imagine that. You know, I read about it and I can sort of imagine it, but it's, you know, that's one of those things. It's hard to imagine as a civilian. You know, it, it you know, it, it just is. Uh, and, uh, it, it's an awful thing. I get that, but you know, you know, I don't want to get too gruesome, but it, that sounds yeah, like a terrible thing to experience. Carrie, you are up next. Thank you. And, you know, I read a long time ago that a lot of the, the changes, especially with the mental health issues, um, came about now, you know, people, uh, you know, get out of the military and 24 hours they're in civilian land because of airplanes and all that stuff. Whereas uh-huh. years and years ago, you know, they might have been on a ship for weeks before they right. got home. And during all that time, they had that time with their comrades to decompress, um, you know, and kind of work through some of that stuff they had seen. So, that adjustment, you know, they had a little bit more adjustment time um, when they came back to the civilian world. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. One of, one of the, you know, I guess you'd call it a phenomena, but it certainly was a factor. Um, and it was the DROS, D-E-R-O-N, date of expected return from overseas. And, you know, Think about the fact that, you know, during, you know, a lot of the early con- conflicts, not just Vietnam, until they figured this out, they were, in, they were deploying people, you know, just like that. You didn't go over as a unit. You went over as a replacement in a unit. So you went over by yourself and you, you know, and when your time was up, you came back by yourself. Right. And so, yeah. And, and so, it, it's, it was different, you know, well, different during Vietnam and it went into some of the earlier conflicts, even now that people are going over and deployed as individual re- in, and replacements. So they got back to the notion of sending people over in units. Right. Because, uh, one of the factors of, of, you know, uh, Surviving a trauma, and it doesn't matter whether it's combat or whether it's rape, you know, and, and whether it's military rape or civilian rape or any other kind of trauma. Two things happen. One, you're much more interested in trying to identify your enemies than you are my, uh, than you are your friends. And one, the symptom of not being able to, uh, Attain or maintain relationships. We have one minute. Okay. Is that you, you, you stop wanting to get close to people because you're afraid you'd lose them. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. 
Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ray, we have less than a minute. Anything on the horizon I, with the hands raised? No, I think it's best we just uh, close up. All right. Well, so, so just well, thirty thanks seconds. Thanks everybody for your questions yeah. and comments. Yeah. Yeah, and and any any thirty seconds worth of wisdom you want to give us civilian types about the military? Uh, ask uh, one common thing. <laughs> be be understanding. Go ahead, Paul. What you didn't miss a thing. If you didn't go there, you didn't miss a thing. Yeah. War war is not a party that you can be sad you missed it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, happy Veterans Day. I agree with that totally. Or something. Paul, thanks for serving. Jane, tell your family thanks for serving. You're all in my heart. Or any of you that are out there that are veterans or families of veterans. Yeah, Paul. Thanks. Thank you for your service and uh, and and also to Paul and Ann. Thank you for your roles afterwards with with the with the uh, counseling and all that you did to help out the veterans with with issues post post wise. Right. And I want to thank our participants. And I also want to thank uh, Ray and Peter as well and everybody else that helped us out with today's program. Next week, we have an author. Her name is Mary um, Joe Elizabeth Pinto. That's, his, that's her name. Joe Elizabeth Pinto will be on with us next week to talk about her book that she has out. Thank you, everybody. Happy Veterans Day. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.